When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Well, I have absolutely no idea what on earth has gone on there, but uh, this is the sporting capital. You wouldn't know that because there was nothing in the... <laughs> Normally, there's an opener that comes on that says, Welcome to the sporting capital with Sam Hargraves with the music from a mate's band, Fountaineer, and that's sort of how it sets a scene and how it unfolds. We've just come out of an ad break there, and uh, here we go to straight into a show. So... Um, for the most underwhelming entry into a show of all time, the nominees are just me. Uh, so I will win that ACRA award if it comes up at the Commercial Radio Awards. Most underwhelming opening to a show for the year. Uh, and I've got that one locked away. So uh, the Sporting Capital, Monday night. Wonderful to have your company. Hope you've had a wonderful day as possible on the most unromantic day of the year. Yes, I said it. If you have to be told uh, by an appointment in the calendar that you have to do somewhat, something nice for the person you love today, in every essence of the word, that is unromantic. So uh, you would probably then be able to ascertain from that that I did absolutely nothing for the beautiful Evie because uh, I, I, that's just there's nothing romantic about being told to do something nice on a particular day of the week. I did get up early. Uh, she is pregnant, as, as you may not be aware. Uh, she needed certain foods this morning, and I got up very early to go and get them. So that was my nice deed done for the day. But uh, uh, if Valentine's Day is something that you're into, then uh, I hope you've had a good one. Or if it's not something you're into and it's uh, a bit of a lonely day, then I'm thinking of you. I'm here for you. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Wherever you're finding us, however you're finding us, uh, this is the Sporting Capital on SEN. Monday night, so Monday means uh, that we always roll out heroes and villains. Massive weekend of sport. Massive weekend of sport. So many things to sink our teeth into. And footy season hasn't even started yet, AFL. AFLW, there's a lot of hero nominations from that weekend. And there's a big villain nomination as well coming. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to put in your heroes and your villains nominations. We'll raid the prize cupboard too, I reckon. We'll see if someone... We, we, we're just a, a we're just a little engine that could uh, on this show. We don't get the the bells and whistles, perhaps of the big names and the, and the big shows in the marquee, the marquee time slots. So we just go and raid their prizes when they don't give them away, and we'll see what's in the cupboard to give away to you. One three hundred seven three six seven three six seven thirty. Kirsty Lamb, Western Bulldogs AFLW. That was one of the all time great AFLW clashes. Um, the dogs holding on to win by a point in Adelaide. Phenomenal, phenomenal win uh, and phenomenal game. Um, it was an absolute nail-biter all the way to the end. If you didn't see it, just even just go see the last two minutes. It was an edge of your cedar. Edge of your cedar. Uh, so looking forward to catching up with Kirsty Lamb, who won the free kick with very little time left. Last line of defence, body on the line. She's made a career of it. And she came up big for her team under enormous pressure 
in the final stages of that game, uh, and they were able to do something that no other team in the AFL's done, AFLW's done this year, and that's beat the Adelaide Crows. So really looking forward to catching up with Kirsty Lamb. Uh, BP's back at 8 o'clock for the first serve, so all your tennis needs will be filled uh, from 8 till 9, and then I'm back from 9 till 10. Uh, in that time, we will uh, have a chat. We'll go over to the U.S., uh, and chat to Zubin uh, Mahenti, who is the host of Sports Centre on ESPN. We had John Anderson, one of the other Sports Centre hosts, on last week. We'll speak to Zubin Mahenti uh, about uh, the Super Bowl 56 that was run and won today. A three-point win, 23-20 in the end. The LA Rams getting uh, their first Super Bowl as the LA Rams. Uh, the Rams getting their second Super Bowl uh, 1999, when Kurt Warner led the St. Louis Rams to victory. And unfortunately for the Bengals, they still go searching for their first ever Super Bowl. But there's a heap of great stories to come out of that game today. If you wanted to give your thoughts on it, if you had a hero and villain nomination from it, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 And uh, we're looking forward to catching up with Zubin Mahenti. Justin Shuler, assistant coach of Melbourne United, is going to jump on as well. Um, Melbourne United jumping back up to the top of the NBL table after what was absolutely a finals-style game against the Perth Wildcats, the arch-rivals, over the weekend. So looking forward to catching up with Justin Shuler, the assistant coach of Melbourne United. But it is a Monday night, and given that the opener of the show didn't work, I'm hoping that this does. And then a hero comes along With the strength to carry on And you cast your fears aside Heroes and villains on a Monday night. The easiest uh, question to answer in sport, really. It, it, sport is all about who are the heroes, who are the villains. one 736 736 I'm happy to open the bowling, but I'd much prefer you uh, to do it for me. Not to do it for me, but I'd much prefer to hear from you than hear from, from me. one 736 0433-98-1116 off the temper text. Temper a mattress like no other. A couple coming in at the moment. Um, hero nomination. Rod Tucker and Josh Hazelwood. <laughs> so that's uh, clearly referring to last night's, the second of the T20 Internationals. Uh, it was called brilliantly uh, on SEN by the team in Sydney. The, uh, the decision in the last over of Sri Lanka's innings to not call a wide. Now, I'm not big on bringing games down to one final call. I, I don't like doing it in AFL. Uh, and I don't like. I don't particularly like doing it in any sport. I, I think most coaches will tell you if you've got to rely on the umpire's call to go your way, then you haven't done enough of what you needed to do to win in the first place. But that was clearly a wide, so I think that's what that person's suggesting in the final over. There was a wide bowl by Marcus Stoinis that didn't get called, and in the end, uh, at the end of their 20 overs, Sri Lanka all square with Australia. Uh, on 164, so they went to the Super Over, and Josh Hazelwood just conceded five runs. At the start of the T20 World Cup, Josh Hazelwood, it's a great hero nomination, by the way. Josh Hazelwood was ranked over 30. I think his rank was like 31, 32, if memory serves, going into the T20 World Cup. By the end of it, he was inside the top 10 of T20 bowlers. 
that is an area of his cricket that has come on in leaps and bounds. I mean, he's always been a metronome. He's always been the guy to, to, to bowl you the line, to bowl you the length, to break a partnership. But what he's able... He's got a lot of tricks up the, the sleeve, a lot more tricks up the sleeve now in the T20 form of the game than he's ever had. And uh, rightly deserves to be the guy that bowls that super over. And what a magnificent job he did. Uh, it won the game for Australia in the end. Steve Smith almost won the game for Australia last night. His effort to dive over the rope, throw the ball back into play, it was ended up being called a six because he'd, his foot had touched the rope to, to propel himself over the line. But that was an extraordinary effort in the field for him. Uh, and fell really awkwardly. And, and that's another person. We, we speak about Wilbukowski, but Steve Smith's had concussion issues and well-documented concussion issues in the past as well. It was, of course, in that Ashes series uh, over in the UK um, that opened the door for Manus Labuschagne to come back in, and the rest, as they say, is history. But we don't want to see Steve Smith um, getting knocks to the bonds. We don't want to see anyone getting knocks to the bonds, but um, Steve Smith had uh, some issues there as well. Uh, the second last over, the wide not caught. I thought it was the last over with with Stoinis, but I'll double check that. Um, I was watching that, and I was watching a couple things last night, so maybe I um, am off the mark there. Brad from McKinnon, thank you for that. One three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three. So it was the last over, was it, Sammy? Yeah, the last over, uh, the wide not. But maybe there was another one that wasn't called Brad, but I'm definitely referring to the one in the last over of uh, Sri Lanka's innings. Extraordinary effort from them too, by the way. If we're talking heroes and villains, that um, the the Sri Lankan partnership at the end between Shamira and Thikshana, uh, what did they? They needed eighteen to win. They got seventeen off the last over. I think they needed forty three. Off was it forty three off eighteen? It was something around forty odd off the last three overs. That was a phenomenal chase from them when it looked like they were were done and dusted. Um, villains. This is from David off the text. The Australian cricket team gone from world champs under Langer to struggling to beat the lowly Sri Lankans. They've gone backwards with Cummins taking over. That's from David. Uh, still not happy with how things unfolded uh, with Justin Langer. Muzz in Geelong, who's got a hero uh, and a villain nomination. G'day, Muzz. G'day. How are you? Good, thank you. The, the hero is, is the great game of cricket we had last night. Mm. And, and if we didn't have a, an extra over... Um, it was still an awesome game because they did need 43 off a three overs and they got a yeah. 17, a 16, and then a 19. Um, and I listened to the, the station down the road because I don't like your Sydney colleagues. Um, and the guys in the ABC box were amazed that that ball wasn't a wide. They said even a blind man would have seen it. <laughs> and Muzz? Their quote. Did you? Uh, well, if I was if I was there, I might have seen it with the bit of vision I've got. But yep. you know, I, I, yeah. And uh, my villain and the referee in the soccer on Saturday night. Now I had to listen to the tally, so I had two sighted gentlemen that are soccer um, non-biased. Um, the special comments man said that the tangle up should have been a free kick and not a yellow card, which then we got a red card. And listening to the crowd, if there was 20,000 there, when the penalty was given, the whole crowd, Sammy, mm. went ape shit. <laughs> the whole crowd. Nice. Not just one not one part of the crowd. Like, you know, when a, a guy gets a free kick on the, the 50-metre penalty in the, in the football, half the crowd boo and the other half of the crowd cheer? Well, it was like a unison of, 
why did you give it referee? Um, the crowd went off their nut. It was, it was, you know. Um, and then I listened to you call the basketball, which was great. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was, it was good to listen to. Um, but I, I need to know what is up top mean. What's up top? Yeah, oh, you so, call and you so go, basically, so basically, the hard, basketball is a very fast moving sport, much faster than any other sport. I, I understand. Such a short. So what up top means is I'm trying to set the, the geography to tell you where the ball is. So up top is directly in front, up the top of the key. But sometimes I don't have Thank enough you. time to always say no, at the no, top of the no, key. No, I've just got to say up top, and then I'll say, you know, I say it a lot because they often reset the offense at the top of the key, just outside the three-point yeah. line, and then move from there. I know, it, I know it might sound for people that are listening tonight that, well, he's ignorant or doesn't no, not understand at all. basketball. Not at all, I don't under, I, I don't understand basketball. I'm slowly learning, and I enjoy listening to it. Like, I'll listen on Thursday evening. You know, I enjoy it, and I'm Melbourne um, United supporter. Mm. Um, people think I'm mad. They come to my house, and I have the basketball on one side and the soccer on. In, in winter, it's Melbourne Stormers on my left side and footies on the right side, and they go, well, who's winning? And when I tell them, they go, well, how do you know? And I go, because I'm listening. I love it. Um, I just have that skill, but... Um, no, so, yeah, I just wanted to know what up top meant. Thank you. I'm sorry if I seem ignorant. Not at all. No, Muzz, it's great. I love the fact that you ring in with questions and feedback. You do it in such a lovely way, and we greatly appreciate it. I mean, I know that you have the station on 24-7, so <laughs> please feel well, free to ring hey, up. The if, other... if I can explain anything else, I'm more than happy to. Yeah, the other thing that annoyed me today... Right. Why does the American Grand Final take four hours to play when the most excitement was in the last five minutes. <laughs> well, you and I have had this chat before, Muzz. I know that you're not a big <laughs> NFL man. I absolutely love American football. I mean, obviously, AFL is my number one, um, but and a close second, cricket and, and basketball in this country, and I love golf. I mean, I love every sport pretty much, but uh, yeah, well, I, well, I am so, I absolutely love American football. It is tactically well, well, ben, ben Graham, thrilling. Ben Graham described it really well with Jared, but there were moves they were doing, and I'm thinking, what does that mean? And then Jared's going, he's throwing it in on a on on a third shot or something, and I'm thinking. Is he going for a try or a field goal? Touch, That's all touch, I need to know. <laughs> touchdown, they call them over there, Muzz. Yeah, touchdown. Yep. Yes, yes. I've, I've still got too much of Melbourne Storm. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, a touchdown, and I'm going. And then when the bloke got thrown out three times with, with when it was going to the um, uh, the Tigers in, because I was barracking for them because they were the underdog. Yep. Um, and then he... he Obviously, he's allowed to stop it. He's like the fullback in Aussie rules is the only way I could work that out. You know, like he, he kept stopping the bloke from getting the ball or going forward when he stopped the um, the last move forward. Yeah, that was Aaron Donald who, who got to the quarterback and uh, and slung him to the ground. He did get the throwaway, so, but uh, it was the, the match-saving play uh, in the end. Hey, Muzz, um, yeah. always great to chat to you, my friend. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Hey, um... I'll enjoy Friday night when Heckle and Jekyll are together too. We don't have to wait that long. We're back tomorrow night. Are you doing tomorrow's game we too? We are doing tomorrow's game too. Oh, you bloody beauty. Hooray. <laughs> Go Blues. Good on you, Muzz. Uh, speaking of the Blues, um, 
Good on Muzz from Geelong, uh, one of the stalwart SEN listeners. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, news out of Carlton that Sam Walsh is going to miss the first month of this season. Newly appointed uh, co-vice-captain. He's got an ankle syndesmosis injury. The club have confirmed today he's going to miss the first month. I said before during the Maccas run that... Um, as I said, he's become an A grader, and if he hasn't become an A grader, then you'd think that by the end of the season he would be considering his trajectory. A couple of Carlton supporters really uh, not happy uh, with what I had to say there. Sam Walsh not an A grader yet. You watch footy much? Question mark, question mark. Best and fairest, 30 Brownlow votes last year. Already an A grader, champ. Oh, if I could say what I really think to people that text in like that. So what I said was, he is an A grader, and if he's not... Because there will be people that would say one season an A-grader does not make. One great season an A-grader does not make. And that is fair. You can have a great season and then maybe not ever have another one that matches it. A-graders are born over successive A-grade seasons. I believe Sam Walsh is an A-grader, but there will be those who didn't. And they would have a valid point because one season doesn't entitle you to... or One season of A-grade quality doesn't necessarily mean that you will be a career A grader. So just don't get too upset and touchy in regards to that. I would bet anything on it that that person is a Carlton fan. one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. 736 Heroes and villains on a Monday night. Start Give us your nominations for those. Uh, you can do it on the phone, one three hundred seven three six seven three six, or on the text, zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. This is the Sporting Capital SEN. Uh, there we go. That's the opener. Well, it's the sweeper. But we've got there. Uh, one Heroes and villains on a Monday night. Uh, I've got a double pass to Melbourne City v Adelaide this Tuesday night at Amy Park. Join the champions this season. Tickets at Ticketek. I've also got a $50 driving range voucher from Yarra Bend. Play, practice, enjoy. Yarra Bend Golf is on Melbourne's doorstep. Heroes, villains, nominations. Best nomination goes into the draw. Sammy, the producer, will decide who is the best nominations. Uh, and uh, I've got a couple of prizes up for grabs for you. Um, I thought that I'd start to throw a few up, heroes and villains, uh, from the weekend. I want to start with a villain. I would think... Now, last week, the story that came out, very good journalism. It was. It is definitely a story. It's an uncomfortable one, but it was definitely a story, the stuff that uh, was reported uh, by Mick Warner in relation to Simon Goodwin. And I don't need to retread over that. Everybody's read it. Everybody understands it. No issue with that, because that was a story. And I gave my views on it at the time. Um, and my view certainly was that that's not a hanging offence for me. And I certainly wasn't going to judge someone um, in regards to what had the, from what we know and what was written in the story, I didn't see a smoking gun on it. And I sort of felt for Simon Goodwin uh, with having to endure that last week. What I would give a villain nomination to, though, is the day after to be... He was at a wedding, and ironically enough, it was at the Sorrento Hotel, or that week. Later that week, he's at the Sorrento Hotel for a wedding. And Max Gorn, who won the week last week, saying a planning meeting for 2022 with him and uh, the, the groom who uh, is the owners of that hotel's son uh, and who runs that uh, particular establishment with Simon Goodwin as well. Planning meeting 2022, Max Gorn wins the internet. What didn't win the internet was a headline 
and I'm not trying to pick a fight, but you've okay, you've 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 made the story, you've got the story, and it wasn't Mick Warner who did this, but back on the beers, Goodwin back on the beers as a headline. I thought that was a cheap shot. I didn't, the story was the story. I understand that, but Goodwin back on the beers. I thought that was a cheap shot. So that is a villain nomination uh, for me. That didn't need to be done. I don't think. Uh, this one I'm a little late to for a villain nomination, but I am going to give a villain nomination to St Pat's Boarding School in Ballarat. A couple of weeks ago, this happened, but I didn't know about it. They've banned mullets. Can you imagine what would have happened in the glory days of the 80s and early 90s if mullets had been banned? Would we have seen Derm? Would we have seen Gary Ayres? Would we have seen Darren Pritchard? Would Steve Kernahan's Wiedemann? How dare you ban one of the most iconic hairstyles and haircuts that this country and several others have ever had. So that is a villain nomination. I mean, you, you, you are banning history. Some of the great rock bands of all time we're banning. You cannot ban the mullet. That is sacrilegious in this country, I reckon. It is as un-Australian as it gets. Some pats, villain nomination, un-Australian from you and a slap in the face to those great names that I mentioned, uh, and anybody that's sporting it, Bailey Smith. There's a bloke playing for the Perth Wildcats whose name escapes me. He's got a glorious mullet. He's built like a brick outhouse. Um, he's got a hyphenated name too, which I love, and I just his name's escaping me off the top. Alex will text me in off uh, the text in just a moment, 0433981116. His is glorious. So um, I, I think that is absolutely worthy of a Villa nomination. My other Villa nomination is the AFL. We understand the trial run, if so to speak, or we understand the need and the want to give AFLW its own space in terms of an AFL year. The AFL is a 12-month-of-the-year industry now. It is still the thing that people want to ring up and talk about most whenever they call this station, no matter what time of the year it is. Even if it's in the middle of an Ashes series, people still want to talk about AFL. So Aussie Rules Footy um, is a 12-month-of-the-year thing. They wanted to put AFLW into its own airspace, and, and I thought that was a great idea at the time. Little did I know that that was going to mean making the semi-professional athletes who have Nine to fivers, they have maybe have kids, they might have families, they have jobs, they have careers outside of football. We are making semi-professional athletes play in 30-plus degree heat in the middle of the days during the middle of summer. Is that not an, uh, is that not an exercise in just abject cruelty? I, I thought, because, I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot for assuming, I just thought that the smart thing that would happen would be that these games would be played at night because that was the coolest time of the day, you know, out of the beating sun. Not, I mean, you don't need me to tell you how nighttime differs from daytime. You're not an idiot. But it would seem that some people need to be told the difference between daytime and nighttime, and that would seem to be the AFL. How could you make these women who are paving the way for what is going to be the, one of the greatest additions to Aussie Rules football that we've ever seen. It already has paid for itself in what it's done in government grants, building facilities, new members, new sponsors, new people coming into the game, equality. Every there, the, the good far outweighs any rubbish bad that you might still throw at me with whatever antiquated view you've got. How could we treat semi-professional? We, would, we wouldn't put the blokes through that. Why are we putting, and it's not a men v. women thing, and I, I've sort of gone down that path, and, and I'll step back a little from that, but it's just irresponsible, I would have thought. 
it's just cruel. The, the, the games have, have been, and we saw an all-time great game yesterday, and I'm going to speak to Kirsty Lamb shortly. But we cannot, and we should not, be making these games be played in the middle of the day, in mid-30s temperatures, in the middle of summer. Oh, I think that's just cruel. So a villain nomination for, for the AFL for that one. I've got a ton of heroes, and there's far more heroes than villains, but we'll do that uh, as the hour goes past, and you can have uh, your say on that as well. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Heroes, the Aussie Winter Olympians. Villain, the Games Organisers. That's from Michael. Uh, Gary says, great call on the mullet, Sam, but wouldn't you love one? Gaz, <laughs> Gary, I did have one for a little while, for a time, when I had hair still, and I had an undercut, I've had a flat, I've had every haircut there is. I think I must have known at an early age that my hair was there for a good time, not a long time. Uh, I'm as follically challenged as a human as there's been. I've got more hair coming out of my face than I've ever had uh, on my uh, on my head. I'd absolutely love a mullet, but alas, that's, that's, that's not what my DNA has enabled. I feel sorry for my kid if it's a boy because it's definitely he's definitely going to be bald. I'm going to have to break that to him at a young age. Uh, Kirsty Lamb's going to join me next. Western Bulldogs, what a win! An all-timer. We'll chat to her about that. She was pivotal in it. Bulldogs superstar Kirsty Lamb to join me next on the Sporting Capital. It's impossible, really. Well, well, they oh, found one. Freak Somehow they found one. Grant's got the free kick, but we'd have no idea what for. <laughs> Given every player on the ground, it was inside 50. So Grant, as the siren sounds, the Bulldogs hang on. Two down on the bench. Under pressure the entire final term. They led all afternoon. This is a win to savour for Dogs fans. They win by a point at Norwood Oval. Beautifully called by Matty Cox, uh, Joe Watton and Kate McCarthy. The SEN AFLW call yesterday of the Dogs and the Crows. What a game that was. An absolute nail-biter, edge of your seater, a thriller in every sense of the word. Um, In the dying stages with a minute to go, uh, Aaron Phillips, who's going to have a medal named after her, just a matter of which one it is, had a, a chance to win the game for the Dogs. A set shot from 35 metres fell short. The Dogs re- repeated, uh, defended repeated ball-ups, uh, repelled forays forward time and time again. It was frantic in that final minute, just in front of the goal square. Uh, they were just hanging on. And uh, they were able to hang on and get that win. And one of the people that was instrumental in that win was Kirsty Lamb, who's been good enough to jump on the line. Kirsty, hello, mates. Hello. How you doing, Sammy? I'm really well. But then again, I just didn't play a starring role in what many, uh, and these are people who have watched every single game of AFLW, Lauren Wood from the Herald Sun, uh, saying is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, regular season AFLW game we've seen. Yeah, I think, um, you know, some of the commentary um, from people that have watched it um, over the weekend were, were pretty happy with sort of the um, the outcome of the game, but also just sort of the spectacle that, that it was. Um, it had high scoring, um, you know, both teams were had periods where they controlled the game and, um, yeah, we took it down right down to the wire. Now, it was Izzy Grant that got the free kick. I think I incorrectly said that that, that was you earlier on in the show, but what was you was a match-saving smother uh, and the final two minutes, you were underneath every pack. You were involved in just about every act of physicality that was uh, was being um, 
implemented on the ground. You denied Caitlin Gould what would have been a match-winning goal in the goal square. I know that you will deflect all of this and be about the team, but this, the personal satisfaction in knowing that you, you've played the role that you had in that win, how does that sit with you? Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's nice to contribute to the overall team success, but um, I guess I was maybe just one of those moments where you're in the right place at the right time and, um, yeah, just happened to get my hands up and got a little something on it, which was which was good. But, yeah, I mean, that last couple of minutes, it was um, something you, you probably won't go through too often as a, as a player. Um, but it was, yeah, it had a little bit of everything in it. There was plenty of emotion. And in the end, I think we were kind of tackling each other just to keep the ball in and, and not let it out. And you saw, I think it was Ali, you know, had a, a bit of a sore, tight hammy that we just had to, you know, nurse her through. And we were just trying to do anything possible to, to run the clock down in the end. The um the start was all important, wasn't it? Four goals to one. Um, you guys jumped them from the get-go, which is no mean feat. They are the form team of the competition. No one else has been able to beat them uh, until then. What was the planning that went in and, and, and what was, I suppose, what was the blueprint that was laid out by Nathan Burke and you guys as leaders heading into the game? Yeah, it was one of those um, times when we wanted to make a mark on a game and what better opportunity when you, you come up against a team that, that was five and zip to um, land the first punch essentially so um, that was our mentality going into to the week it was actually Natalie Wood who's our mids coach who um, took a full ownership this week of um, the planning and, and gave us some I guess three key things that we kind of wanted to work on going into the game so I'll, I'll give Woody the credit for it but um, she kept referring to a sort of a boxing match and that, that this game was going to go for, for 12 rounds and um, we needed to land the first punch and um, respect that the Crows are, are quite a good side and that they were going to throw punches back, but we had to be willing to go sort of 12 rounds with them. Um, so, yeah, the first quarter was, was purely around winning the contest. Um, that's something that we've become quite good at and we're, we're confident in our ability that when the ball hits the ground that... Um, we'll fight tooth and nail to win the contest. So we, for us, it was about bringing the ball to ground and, and backing our ability to win those contests and, and try and get the game on our terms from the get-go. 13-point lead at quarter time. So you landed those first punches, 17 points at half time, and then they came for you. And you and, and always knew that they would. They've got one of the best midfields uh, in the competition, um, you know, Hatchard and Marinoff. That they had 27, uh, 22 and 27 disposals, respectively. Um, you also had to do it two people down o- on the bench. So young Aurora Smith, her debut only lasted, which was devastating. And that's the other thing too. Those injuries in any sport, when you see a first gamer go down and you probably know straight away that doesn't look good, there's a lot of emotion that, that comes with that. And then Brooke Lachlan can cast in friendly fire. So... It made it all the more impressive that you, you, you deal with the emotion of Aurora Smith. Then you've got, in 30-plus degree heat, two down on the bench. It makes it even more Herculean. Yeah, I, I think it does. I mean, we, we kept referring to the fact that we, they're a good side. They're going to they're gonna keep coming at us. Um, it was a talking point at, at, every, um, at every break. Um, we referred at times that we, we do have two down at, on the bench, but it's going to take a lot of guts and a lot of fight to... Um, pull off this win and yeah you know we almost <laughs> made it really hard for ourselves in the end to win the game because we kind of let them back in in the in the last quarter but um yeah I guess that's kind of what we've become known for is just the, our want and our hunt to win the game and um I guess never concede so that last couple of minutes shows that 
we don't ever want to concede. Even if it was a point, it would have it would have drawn the game. So, yeah, you know, we'll wrap our arms around all of our girls. We've got quite an injury list brewing at the moment. Mm. So uh, hopefully we can get, get some back over the next couple of weeks. But, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll rally around the girls who have um, got some injuries at the moment and, um, you know, keep trying to put some wins on the board and give them something to smile about. 15 points at three-quarter time. Early... Um, Ash Woodland gets her 12th goal of the year. Then it's nine points. Stevie Lee Thompson's running goal with six minutes left um, makes it three points. Take us... Obviously, there's only so much a coach can do. The runner can only deliver so many messages at so many different times. What's your role and Ellie Blackburn's role and probably Bonnie Toogood's role at that time? Just take us out onto the field and, and, and what's being said, how it's being said. How do you game manage that situation? Yeah, I think we we I I think we handled it quite well. Um, between a few of us, we we kind of have to own that situation. And you're right, it, there's only so much that sort of Berkey and your runner can do. So, in those situations, regardless of who it is, you need your leaders to to kind of stand up. And um, for us, it was more just around constant communication, making sure that um, we had you know everybody locked onto a player and um, you know Easy Grant when she got the free kick at the end you'll see Ali was right next to her and she just said to Ali tell me what to do and I'll do it um and Ali gave her the perfect instruction which is to hold it until they call play on and then kick it um but you know that was kind of our role across the the last few minutes and and Bonnie Tugel was really good kicking that we needed that goal in that last quarter and and she stood up and went back went through her routine and, and got us that goal so that was really important but yeah it's more just around educating the the younger players and often they'll ask what do I do where do you want me? Um, and it's, you know, just sort of talking him through it. How tough's the heat? Uh, Daisy Pierce has been pretty open about it and a few of the other players are. I just, and I know, I don't want to get you in trouble, but I just gave the, I do heroes and villains on a Monday night. I've just given the AFL a villain nomination <laughs> for making you guys play in the middle of the day. In this, how tough is it? You guys are semi-professional uh, athletes. How difficult is, is not only battling the team you're playing, but also the elements in the way that you are that nobody's had to do in footy before? Yeah, I mean, it's something that we've sort of started to become familiar with. Like, it's our sixth season doing mm. it. So it's not something that we're, that's, you know, foreign to us. But it, it plays a factor. I mean, it, yesterday was, yeah, it was over 30. Um, it was still sort of scorching hot. And when you lose a couple of players early, it, it makes mm. it a tough kind of day. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely, it, it's something that you think about. It's, it's something that's spoken about, um, whether it be pre-game or in the, in the lead-up to the game. Um, particularly around you know eating well, hydrating well, because the reality is it, it's generally going to be pretty hot. Um, and I'm not sure how you you fix it. Um, do you move the season? Do you not move the season? What's what's the right answer? Is probably a little bit unknown at the moment. Um, but I think you know we've, as I said, but it's not foreign to us. We've, and um, yes, we are professional athletes, and we're still learning lots about the game and lots about how to prepare as athletes. But you, you back yourself in and you back your, your medical team or your nutritionist and those the likes of those at the club to, you know, prepare yourself and, and educate the players as much as possible um, to give us the best chance of succeeding on game day. Speaking of Kirsty Lamb, Bulldogs AFLW star, you've been in the competition from day one. You're a premiership player. Um, dare I say an elder states person uh, of the game. <laughs> um, you would, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you would have a view, I'd imagine, on now that you, this is the sixth season, 
where, where do you believe, and we've got the four new teams coming in next year, we, we all understand those of us that have been following it and, and invested in it from day one, that there will be, uh, that will have an effect on the, the, the talent pool and, and standard and whatever. And we're fully expecting that, and that's no drama at all. But with all those four teams coming in, do you have a view yet on where the best place for AFLW is during the year? Yeah, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. It's been spoken about yeah. quite heavily. Not an original moment. one. It is a good one, not an original yeah, one. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> it, it is. Um, look, I think we have to, in in my opinion, we need to look long-term. Um, yeah. Obviously, but the goal and at some stage we're hopeful to play every team once. So, you know, that's 17 weeks. You chuck on some finals, at potentially a buy. You're starting to push out to, you know, similar to a men's season at 20, 23 weeks. Um where do you fit that in a calendar? Um, if you don't want to clash with men's, it becomes quite challenging. So, mm. um, you know, there, there's certainly conversations that are being had um, at the moment. And I think if we're going to move the season again, maybe let's let's consider moving it once and, and once and for all. I think it's it's quite hard still as part-time athletes with jobs um, outside of football that each year we, we just keep pushing it back um, by a month that can become a little bit hard with employees, whereas if you move it once and it, and it sort of settles and it sits in its um, rightful place, wherever that may be in the calendar, it at least allows you to, to kind of set up the rest of your life outside while we're still in this interim period trying to sort of get to a full-time athlete. So, yeah, it's a hard question. Um, if you want to keep it completely separate to the men so it's got its own airtime, then you, you, you're narrowing yourself down a little bit um, in terms of how many weeks. There's only 52 or 53, whatever it is, uh, weeks in a year, and you've got two competitions that go for, mm. for 20, 23 weeks alone. So, yeah, it becomes a little bit challenging at times. When, when um, you used to play for the Melbourne Renegades, so you're a former cricketer as well, and you've got a lot of friends that would, still are, you would know from, from their experience just how big an impact it had when Cricket Australia went all in, chips in and said, righto, you're all professional now. We'll pay you a professional wage so that you can focus all your attention on cricket. And it just improved, not overnight, but exponentially. It just got so, like, it just exploded, women's cricket. Now we're the envy of the world. Um, would you think a similar thing would happen in AFLW if they said, righto, and it, it might not, and it's obviously not going to be big dollars to start with, but if they said, we'll pay, pay you a professional wage to play this game, how quickly do you what what how big a difference do you think knowing what it did for cricket what would it do for AFLW? I think absolutely it, it will make a difference. Um, it's obviously a matter of when when that will will happen, mm. um, and hopefully it's in the near future. Um, obviously, adding in four teams is you know an, an extra hundred twenty odd players as well yeah. in a, in a talent pool. So um, you know the talent pool is is growing, um, and will now it will hit a consistent number and it, it won't sort of fluctuate too much as yeah. we've seen over the, the previous years. But I think I, absolutely it, it will happen. It's a matter of, of when. Um, and I think the competition will go from strength to strength when it does because it allows players to obviously solely focus on football and, and put a lot of time and effort in. And at the moment, it's a real juggling act. To, you want to put all the time and effort as you can into your football because you want to be the best footballer you can. But you know, you've also got um, another part of your life which you need to, to keep ticking over as well. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen it firsthand in, in cricket. There's still a number of players in the cricket world who um, who, who do work. Um, and mm. if they've only got a, a sole contract, um, they don't necessarily have contracts over multiple formats. So they're not technically full-time. So, 
you know, they're, they're still sort of um, going through that as well. But, yep. um, you know, you look at the Australian women's team and they're all full-time athletes and, um, you know, they're, they're the best in the world. Um, and there's a reason for that because they've got good resources uh, behind them. So I have no doubt that our competition will get there. As I said, it's a matter of when and, and hopefully um, sooner rather than later. I think it'll be really good for the girls, good for the competition, good for footy clubs and, and just the community in general. Kirsty, always love catching up with you. Thank you for making yourself available. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the win. It is an all-timer. That that was one that will live on and echo on uh, through the AFLW. What a game it was. Your role in it was monstrous. Uh, thanks for joining us, and I'll chat to you soon. No worries. Appreciate you having me on. Kirsty Lamb, Bulldogs AFLW star. One-point win in the end. Um, what a game that was. If you haven't seen the final, go watch the whole game. And if you haven't seen the final two minutes, I mean, it was a game that they needed. There's been a lot spoken about in terms of where things are at with the, the, the heat and the effect on the standard this year. That was as good a standard a game as we've seen. The ball movement was uh, fast and the skills were precise. Yeah, it, was a, it was a great, great advertisement uh, for AFLW. Uh, and they've got the Gold Coast Suns this weekend coming. Uh, so good luck to the dogs. They're only a couple of games outside the six. Uh, we'll finish up Heroes and Villains on the other side of this before BP takes over with the first serve at 8 o'clock. Uh, the final hero and villain nominations for me, all heroes from this point out. But Scotty James, obviously a hero. Silver in the men's half pipe at the Winter Olympics in the snowboarding. Uh, came second to a Yumu Hirano. Uh, came under some criticism for not trying a particular trick, but uh, that trick had been landed by Hirano and it hadn't got him a better score than it did get Scotty James. He was just beaten by a better run on the day, but he's a, a silver medalist now to add to his bronze from four years earlier at Pyeongchang. Uh, Jackie... Narakot, first ever medal that we've ever claimed in the sliding events. We don't even have a training facility in Australia, so that is a phenomenal performance uh, as we've had in our Winter Olympics history. So congratulations to Jackie Narakot for her silver medal uh, at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. A couple other hero nominations. Andrew McDonald, who's currently the interim uh, cricket coach for Australia, who made this claim that greater clarity is needed on the coach's role. Uh, Never a truer word spoken. This is a pivotal moment moving forward, uh, for what exactly do cricket want their coaches to be? What's exactly the role? What's required? What do we want from our Australian cricket coaches? Do we need two of them? Do we need to to split the profile, uh, the portfolio up? But Andrew McDonald was 100% spot on. There needs to be greater clarity on exactly what does it mean to be a cricket coach uh, and especially, what does it mean to be the Australian cricket coach? So well done, Andrew McDonald, for calling that out. Um, if you didn't see the um, the uh, the All Stars game, the Indigenous uh, versus the Maori side uh, in the NRL over the weekend, and you don't have a chance to go and watch the whole game, just watch the two war dancers, the Haka and the Indigenous war dance at the start. Spine tingling stuff, unbelievable. Uh, what a way to start uh, start a game. Uh, congratulations to the Vic Open winners. Uh, uh, Dimitri Papadatos, who was on with uh, Andrew, uh, Andy and Gazy a little earlier, and Hannah Green as well. Hero nominations for them. Delhi for his final quarter heroics uh, in Melbourne United's win over Perth. Also, too, Shaili did a great job. Uh, Joe Lawala Chul was incredible. Uh, Jack White's job. Oh, Jack White's job on Vic Law. A hero nomination needed there. Uh, Tim David, the most expensive player taken at the IPL auction. Who would have thought that going in? But well done to Tim David. I know that'll make my man Chuck Berry very happy as long as he doesn't bowl. Uh, that'll be what Chuck's call is. Josh Hazelwood for the five runs in the Super Over. 
Uh, Jalen Adams for the Sydney Kings. Andrew Gaze said that might be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, NBL dunk of all time, given it tied the game. And then he was able to get the rebound off the foul shot that he didn't make uh, and find Jarrell Martin, who made the game-winning bucket. So there's some hero nominations. Thanks for all of yours as well. BP's up next with the first serve. I'll be back with you uh, at 9 o'clock for the rest of the Sporting Capital. We'll talk Super Bowl and a little bit more NBL. Let's chat to you then. Coming up this hour, we'll head to the US. Zubin Mahenti from ESPN Sports Centre will give us the wash-up from Super Bowl 56. And Melbourne United are back on top of the table. Their assistant coach, Justin Schuler to join me. Yes, indeed. An hour to spend with you to close out the Sporting Capital for a Monday. one 736 If you've got a hero or a villain nomination that you wanted to throw up, we do that on a Monday night. It's an easy one coming out of a big weekend of sport. 0433-981116, the temper text line. Temper a mattress like no other. Give us a bell at any stage. one 736 NBL action just towards the end of the third quarter. Taipan 65, New Zealand Breakers 69 in Cairns. Winter Olympics, quick little update as well. After 10 o'clock tonight, uh, flag bearer Laura Peel and Danielle Scott both finished in the top six of qualifying to get through to the aerials final. So that's always exciting. We've got such a, a rich history uh, in that particular event, um, Lydia Lassler was our last gold medalist uh, in that event. Um, and, uh, oh, now I'm just having a mental blank. Who was the other one? Who was our other uh, aerialist gold medal? Uh, Lydia Lassiter was 2010. And, uh, oh, it's right. Right on the, Alyssa Camplin. Alyssa Camplin, that's who it was. Don't you hate that when a name's right on the tip of your tongue? You know it. It's there. You can see the person right in your mind. So we've got a very rich history in that particular event. So good luck to both those women, um, Laura Peel and Danielle Scott, um, in the Aerials final tonight after 10 o'clock. You can catch that on Channel 7. Uh, Bree Walker just missed out on a medal in the Mono Bob, the new event uh, at the bobsled, uh, and uh, will be in action in the women's bobsled as well. And tomorrow, Tess Cody, who got our first medal at these Winter Olympics, will be um, in the final for the women's snowboard Big Air. So looking forward to that as well. She got a bronze in the snowboard slope style. Uh, earlier on uh, at Beijing, and she's in action again tomorrow. one 736 Alex says, you better be watching the NBL, Sam. The Taipans are back. I'm just a little busy right now, Alex. I am uh, working, but I'll uh, keep you up to speed on the scores. But it looks like you're watching, so you can maybe keep me uh, up to date on those scores. Some AFL news before we get to our special guest, uh, Zubin Mahenti from ESPN Sports Centre for the Super Bowl 56 wash-up. If you're just joining us for the first time, Sam Walsh, Carlton superstar, um, 30 votes in last year's Brownlow, won their best and fairest, uh, newly appointed deputy vice-captain, going to miss the first month of the AFL season with a syndesmosis injury to his ankle. Uh, On the same day that uh, West Coast have announced that uh, Oscar Allen is also going to miss the next three weeks at least um, of training, he's got a stress-related foot injury. I don't know if it's a stress fracture. It didn't say. It just said a stress-related foot injury. Now, I don't know if that means he's just stressed out and it's it's manifesting itself in his foot or whether his foot has been under stress because it just said stress-related foot injury. Ben King uh, is the other young star that we've been talking about. 
ACL out for the year. Apparently, the Suns still have a very lucrative two-year offer on the table for him, given that he's got interest, we know, from St Kilda, Essendon, and we'd expect maybe a few others. Every other club should be interested in Ben King if they're uh, doing their job, and they all, I'm sure they all are. But um, do the Suns still have that two-year offer? John Ralph actually tweeted before, about Sam Walsh, Paddy Dangerfield missed eight weeks with syndesmosis last year. Trelaw, 12 weeks. Sam Walsh is the heart of the Blues midfield. Time for the f- time for Fisher, Chera, Cripps, Hewitt, Kennedy, Dow and Williams to step up. Very hard to argue um, with that. Uh, let's turn our attention to the Super Bowl. This is how it all concluded, courtesy of Gerald Waitley, uh, Larry Fitzgerald Sr. and Ben Graham, uh, the SEN call today. 43 seconds left. Joe Burrow, fourth and one. He stands in centre field and centre stage. Burrow takes the snap. He's sacked. It's over. The Rams will win it. Aaron Donald, the man who more than any other wanted the ring, has just made it safe for the Rams. Uh, that was our very own Jared Waitley from SoFi Stadium in L.A. today as the L.A. Rams became the second team in as many years to win a Super Bowl at home. They haven't had one since 1999 when they were the St. Louis Rams with Kurt Warner under centre as the QB. They went chips in. They went all in. They put together a team stacked full of stars and... Well, they were made to earn it by a gritty Bengal side uh, that put on a phenomenal Super Bowl, absolutely worthy of the occasion. Uh, One man who's been right across it and always is, one of the hosts of SportsCenter on ESPN. He used to be the host of the Morning Drive on ESPN Radio. Zubin Mahenti has been good enough to stay up and give us some time. Zubin, hello to you. Hey, what a day. What a game. Uh, it certainly is. I'm going to start by just saying, I know that when you would have looked at uh, the, the host name who you were speaking to and it said Sam Hargraves there, that you would have thought, now, please don't tell me he's related to Vernon Hargraves who rushed the field, uh, not suited up for the Bengals and cost them a penalty after the interception. We're not, I don't think we're related. It's all good. That's all good. I, uh, I think in any way, shape or form, the Bengals exceeded expectations. So anything with the Bengals, even in a loss, it's kind of a win for them. <laughs> well, it, it, absolutely. I mean, what a game it was. And, and they led for such a long time, too, after um, the Rams had the better of it in the early going. How, did you, how do you sum up that game uh, after you've had time to let it sink in? What, what is it to you? How do you best describe what you've just witnessed? I think at the end of the day, it was the idea that in football you can win in more than one way. I think... That's my biggest takeaway. I think you, you mentioned it. You said the word all in. I think if you're looking at a newspaper headline of this or whatever the internet headline, it'll be about somebody stopping Joe Burrow or Joe's just getting started or Matthew Stafford finally got it done. Is this going to put him in the hall? See what happens when you're not on the Lions. McVay being 36. There's so many great stories. But to me, the real eye-opener for the other 31 teams who would have loved to be in the position the Rams are in is that you can go all in and win. As you guys know, the regular way of trying to win in the NFL is to draft and develop because you can keep your players you can keep them at a much cheaper rate, and then when you have a great amount of success and you have to start to pay players, then the team starts to break apart, but you hope in those first four to five years if you can get the nucleus of your team at a reasonable cost and they're young, you can win. 
and the Rams did the exact opposite. While most teams covet draft picks and want to build that way, they just said, we're going to go get the best quarterback available no matter what the cost. We're going to go get the best cornerback available no matter the cost. We're going to go get a former Super Bowl MVP in Von Miller no matter the cost. And if that means they don't have draft picks or they're all in, it's win or nothing, they did it. You know, the Rams are the type of team, this is very strange. The Bengals exceeded expectations before they even took the field. They had six wins the last two years. They won four games. They hadn't won a playoff game in 31 years. They hadn't won the division in six years. I mean, there's a million stories about them. But for the Rams, what's interesting is that they could only meet expectations. It sounds crazy, but the Rams could not exceed expectations in this game. The expectation was to win the Super Bowl. So all they could do is meet the expectations, not beat the expectations, which is pretty rare. But they showed you can win in the NFL by going, like you said, all in. It's something most teams won't try because the consequences are too great for failure. But you got to give them credit. They went counterculture, and it worked. And we shouldn't be surprised either because it's essentially, and maybe not to the same extent, but Tampa Bay did it last year as well. I mean, they got went and got Brady and then they had some of the pieces. They went and got other pieces for him. And, and so this is a couple of years in a row now where teams have been created to achieve the ultimate success. I think that's fair. I think the one distinction I would give, other than the fact that, you, you know, you mentioned that both teams won the Super Bowl and they're home stadium it's pretty amazing to think we've had 56 Super Bowls and for the first 54 the first 54 there were no home teams uh, that played in their home stadium and now it's actually been two in two technically I guess the Rams were by some strange measure they were actually the opposing team technically even though it was their own stadium but I think the, the only distinction I would make and I think you make a good point is that I think Brady was proven you know he had already won mm. six Super Bowls and played in nine of them before he got to that game last year, whereas his counterpart in this game, the winning quarterback, as you know, Matt Stafford, played in Detroit for 12 years, won zero playoff games, and only played in three. In fact, this is one of the great stats we talk about here in the States. The Dallas Cowboys have won three playoff games in the last 25 years. Matthew Stafford has basically won uh, three, and now he's won four this postseason. So Matthew Stafford has won more postseason games in this postseason than the Cowboys have in a quarter century. And that's pretty amazing considering he had a zero heading in. So I like your analogy. The only thing I would say is that almost everyone expected Brady to elevate them. But for Stafford, because he played on a, such a lowly Detroit franchise, the jury was really out on whether he would be able to elevate them to these heights. And I think by doing so, he has completely changed the trajectory of the way people will talk about him from here on out. Uh, that's why we get the experts on. Uh, Zubin Mahenti is with us from SportsCenter uh, on ESPN. Um, the game itself, Zubin, it, it, it seemed like everything was just clicking for the Rams in the probably the first quarter and a half. Um, and then OBJ, who gets the first touchdown in the Super Bowl. I mean, what a story that is in and of itself. He, he reaches, you know, international stardom, um, celebrity levels with the New York Giants. He goes to Cleveland to try and win a Super Bowl. It's just never the right fit. It didn't work really from day one. He, he leaves and goes to the Rams, another piece of, of the puzzle that they've put together. And he was looking like he was going to absolutely tear the game apart because we always knew that they would double-team Cooper Cup, who got the Triple Crown this year. That was a major turning point. From that moment on, with no Tyler Higby either at the tight end for, for the Rams, they struggled to, to, to get cohesion offensively. And that's when Joe Burrow kicked into gear. How pivotal did you see that moment in the game? 
Oh, yeah, I think that was really pivotal. What's interesting for Beckham going forward is, you know, as you mentioned, started with the Giants, had a great run, then it got a little caught up, and then obviously with the Rams. Between that, he was actually with the Browns, as you know, he was traded from the Browns to the Rams. And he actually, he left there, and people said, you know what, didn't work in New York, and then it didn't work in Cleveland. And you know how it is. If it doesn't work out one place, maybe it's the other guy. But when it doesn't work out two places, people are like, let's see, uh, you were in both places. Maybe you're the problem. And I think he walked into this game with a lot of baggage, didn't work in New York, didn't work in Cleveland. Um, and I think this game, even though he obviously got injured, now that he's a Super Bowl champion, and to the point you made that he was playing so well before he got injured, I actually think you could easily now say the Giants were dysfunctional. Maybe Baker Mayfield was the problem in Cleveland. And this guy just needed to be in the right spot. The other thing with him is he just grew up, right? Mm. When you're in New York, you're that age, you're young, you're in the bright lights. You just have to sort of adjust to it. It takes a little time. I think Burrow definitely did step up. But the irony of Beckham getting hurt, in addition to Burrow making a couple good throws, refs missed a huge face mask on Jalen Ramsey, um, is that they have to be even more reliant on cups. So like you say, no Tyler, no OBJ. And you would think, all right, how in the world could they win without getting the ball to Cooper Cup? And as you saw in the final touchdown, they just kept going back to Cup every single time. And by OBJ actually leaving the game, I think Stafford actually felt like, listen, I've been going to Cup all season. Now I don't have any choice. You mentioned the Triple Crown. If you guys look at the stats, Sam, he wasn't even – there was nobody close to him in any of the three categories. And he was a third-round pick, as you know, out of Eastern Washington – with zero scholarship offers, so yeah. a college scholarship offer. So if there's anybody in your audience that's kind of down on themselves and, you know, kind of like, you know, thinking to themselves, they're, you know, they're not in a great spot. It's just everything is subjective, and it was just one person's opinion. I mean, Cooper Cup had a million reasons to not be playing in this game, to not even be in the NFL. His father and his grandfather both played in the NFL, marginal players, didn't really make an impact. There was no reason to think he was going to become – one of the greatest performers in modern NFL history, which it sounds crazy to say because it's just one year, but the year has been so good. People like Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, greats, greats of the game don't have numbers like this. And up until this Super Bowl, people would generally say he was, you know, having the ball thrown to him by Jared Goff and Matt Stafford, and people didn't think too highly of him going in. So uh, I think you're right, Burrow played well, but I think the over-reliance on Cooper Cup was simply amazing. And that's why he was a Super Bowl MVP. He is a, a magnificent story. He is a story that every high school coach, every college coach, in fact, every coach should be telling the story of Cooper Cup to any player that they've got that might be just struggling in a particular moment of, in, in, a, in a particular time in their life. I mean, he is one of those that you, you tell as many people as possible. You know, you don't tell the story who it is. You tell his story and then you say, and do you want to know who that guy is? That guy's name is Cooper Cup because you're right. That is a phenomenal journey um, that he's been on. Um, Zubin, with with this game, I I, I started to get a little nervous for the Rams in that third quarter when Joe Burrow started to find his rhythm. The defence was having a little trouble getting to him. The Bengals' defence were just doing – were playing – out of their skins in stopping the run of the Rams. And then they tried the trick play. And I thought, oh, this is, this is Brady v. the Eagles all over again. When Cup overthrew Stafford, did you think for a little while that the Rams were letting it slip? And if you did, how incredible then was that last drive where Stafford just, 
he'd already had been picked twice and then still took risk after risk. He kept finding Cup. Yes, they had some calls go their way, but, hey, they had some go against them earlier on. Um, did you feel like they were letting it slip? And if you did, how incredible then was that final drive for you? Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to a larger point, and I'm sure your listeners are aware. You know, the last seven games of the NFL playoffs this year have just been incredible. Yeah. And this last one capped it, right? The divisional round was amazing. Every game went down to the wire. Conference championship game, both games were instant classics. And uh, this game, it's the biggest game on the calendar, was great. So I just think it was just a very apropos and fitting way for the season to end. One thing I really think that speaks well of both quarterbacks is the last drive. That was a 15-play drive, and it was hampered by a lot of flags. And once the Rams had first and goal at the one, you just felt like, well, they're going to score here. But what was equally great was when the Bengals got the ball back with about a minute 25 to go, and they only needed a field goal. I mean, how big did that missed extra point loom large, right? So you're thinking to yourself, the Bengals can go and tie this game, and they've got a guy who's in his second year in the league, and if anybody would have driven them down, the Bengals field goal kicker had actually been perfect throughout the postseason. And the last drive actually spoke well of both guys because the Rams got it done. That's what people were waiting for Stafford to do, 15 plays. Everybody in the stadium knew they were going to cup. They still got it there. And everybody knew that there's no chance this game is over. Joe Burrow's got the ball, and he can come back the other way. So while the drive will always be remembered for the uh, Stafford to cup, play the drive to score to essentially win the Super Bowl, I think it speaks so well of Joe Burrow to say, let's see, this guy's in his second year in the NFL. They're down in the Super Bowl by three points. They got a buck 25. Seems like a pretty risky situation, mm. but I don't think there were a lot of fans saying that Joe Burrow can't do this. You yeah. know, he's got enough time. They have the timeouts. They have a great field goal kicker. All they need is three points. So that drive, what happened during it, And the ensuing drive, you know, it was uh, unfortunate what happened if you're a Bengals fan, but it just really spoke well of how guys are just answering each other one at a time. I think most people felt like at the end of the day, the Bengals' offensive line was probably their biggest weakness. Um, They were playing some patchwork. And uh, the Rams, uh, Aaron Donald, who's probably the best NFL defensive player of his generation, fittingly made the stop on fourth and one. So uh, it was all about offense. It's all about Stafford and Cooper Cup. But the biggest play of the game was made on defense. Uh, absolutely. So I'm going to ask you just two more questions because it's been a big day on know, Zuba Mahenti, ESPN Sports Centre host. I'm going to let you tell me what you think is the greatest story to come out of the day. And I'm going to throw the nominees. So is it Sean McVay, 36 years old, youngest ever Super Bowl coach, having lost a few years ago when he was given a lesson by the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick? Is it OBJ or is it Von Miller, who was still thinking of his dearly departed friend during that game? Is it Andrew Whitworth, 16 years in the league, finally getting a Super Bowl? Van Jefferson leaving straight after because his wife went into labour at halftime? Is it Aaron Donald sealing the win with that and creating and getting that final legacy piece. You tell me, what's the greatest story out of the day? I would lean toward Darren Donald if he retires. There's a lot of discussion that he actually might retire, which really was shocking. Uh, during the Super Bowl pregame, uh, one of the sideline reporters, Michelle Tafoya, just sort of casually mentioned it. And obviously it really wasn't given a lot of steam until they won the game and then he made the play to win it. And he said that I've done everything except win it. And what is that saying? Is that saying if I win it, I'm done, which is amazing because he's still really in the prime of his 
career. So if there's a definitive word on his retirement, maybe I would have chosen it. But I got to go McVay. I have to go McVay. He's 36. It's basically his fifth year in the league. He's still, after a half a decade of coaching, he's still the youngest coach in the NFL <laughs> at this moment, which is really amazing. He learned from his mistakes. He's one of the very few people that's been super successful in life that basically you referenced it. He said, you know what? I failed in the Super Bowl. I was facing the greatest coach of all time, and I didn't get it done. And most guys would have said, you know what? I'm just in my early 30s. I got to learn. He just took all the responsibility and said, nope, I'm the coach. It's on me. And I think what this is really going to do, and I don't know how it goes for sports where you guys are, the sports that you covet. Oftentimes in America, you know, jobs are just filled by retread and guys that are just safe, conservative hired because you don't want to go out on the limb because if you go out on the limb and he or she doesn't succeed, then the GM is on the hook as well. So to hire Sean McVay at 30 is something a lot of teams just simply wouldn't do because are we going to entrust our billion-dollar entity to a millennial, essentially? <laughs> and the Rams <laughs> did it. It worked off in spades. I mean, two Super Bowl appearances. They've only missed the playoffs once. He's been as consistent as anybody and I think this is going to allow a lot of other teams to say, instead of hiring the coach that failed two times for a third time, why don't we just give a young guy a shot for the first time? And he's really proven what is really interesting in any form of business, whether it's sports or entertainment or music or real estate or whatever. It's all about connecting with your players. I don't think there's any doubt that his age allows him to connect to the locker room much greater than somebody that maybe is more experienced than him, maybe the 56 or 60, but just can't relate to any of the guys on the roster because of life experience or when they grew up or what music they listened to. I think a lot of people look at 36 and think they're a prodigy, and he is. But I think there's also a lot of looking at 36 and saying, look at how close he is in age to the actual players. The players all bought in. The Rams had very little controversy over the last five years, right? The most controversial thing they did was ship off Jared Goff to get Matthew Stafford, and that's a move everyone agreed with because they knew they had to get better. But you don't see a lot of disgruntled people on the range. Think about all the big names, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford, Donald. You don't hear guy, Odell Beckham. You don't hear people speaking out of school, which is very rare for a team that's got a huge bunch of stars. Egos, all that stuff gets in the way. And McVay's ability to relate to his players, the X's and the O's are one thing, and the strategy is one thing, but his ability to get them on the same page and respect him at 36 says a whole lot. And maybe a lot of other teams are going to say, you know what, maybe we should look at different criteria when it comes to hiring a head coach. Uh, brilliantly done. Uh, we've got to wrap it up, but uh, Zubin Mahenti from uh, Sports and ESPN, a lot of debate. I didn't think that anything was ever going to beat 2007 when Prince sung Purple Rain in the rain in Miami, but that halftime show, <laughs> that, that is, that's, that, that's the best ever, surely. I'll quickly say that uh, we live in probably the most polarized country on earth, uh, the United States of America. But if you went on Twitter tonight, it was universal acclaim. And I think it was cool for the pop culture people in your audience. Uh, Dr. Dre headlined it with everybody else that you saw up there. But his emergence probably 29, 30 years ago actually paved the way for everybody else that was on the stage and some of the biggest stars in music today. So I thought that was very fitting. Uh, that that was the case. And here in America, it went over really, really well. 
And so has been chatting to you, Zuba Mahenti, ESPN Sports Centre. Thanks so much for making time. Massive day. The biggest sporting event uh, on the calendar. We really appreciate you wrapping it all up for us. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. Thank you. Zuba Mahenti from ESPN Sports Centre. What a day. Love the Super Bowl. What an event. 1-300-736-736-2320. 1-300-736-736-2320. The Rams over the Bengals in the end and a heap of great storylines to come from it. If you want to have a chat about it, 1-300-736-736. If you've got a hero or a villain nomination, same number. Or 433 text in on the Temper text line. Temper a mattress like no other. Taipan 72, Breakers 82 in the NBL at the moment. Back after this. Uh, one 736 is the number to call at any stage of the Sporting Capital if you've got a hero or a villain nomination. Justin Schuler from Melbourne United, assistant coach, is going to join me very shortly to talk about Melbourne United getting back to the top of the NBL ladder after a really impressive win. They came back from 15 points down late in the first quarter uh, to record a six-point win over Perth uh, in the uh, first time they've met since the grand final, which grand final series, which Melbourne United swept. Uh, 84 to 80, uh, Taipans trailing the breakers with a minute 18 left in the NBL. And this off the text. Stop beating it up so Hutchie can still advertising for more. Please, who gives AF? Not everyone a massive fan of the Super Bowl. In fact, some people were so against it that it's really upset them. Uh, Justin's in Coburg who wants to take uh, talk about the Super Bowl. G'day, Justin. Hey, how are you, man? Good, mate. What did you think? Uh, the biggest ever Super Bowl I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, I feel sorry for um, Burrow going down with his knee, but, yeah, I mean, man, what a game. It was an incredible game and, and a lot of storylines to come out of it, Justin. What grabbed your attention most of all? Um, I think um, the um, Bengals, when they went for the touchdown, the uh, player with the ball um, grabbed the Rams, other, the other Rams player and twisted his helmet. I reckon that should have been a penalty. Yeah, well, you're not. Yeah, you're not alone on that one. I mean, that was that was probably the biggest non-call of the game, and then it got balanced out by the the call that maybe shouldn't have happened when uh, Stafford was trying to throw and missed Cooper Cup, and uh, the Bengals' defence got called for a hold that wasn't really there or pass interference. But that face mask call, I was stunned that that yeah. didn't get Jalen yeah, Ramsey didn't I, get the call there. Yeah, well, I honestly thought there was going to be a penalty, but um, I think the rest have got to go back and review the tape again to actually find out that that would have been a penalty and deny the um, Bengals a touchdown. But, yeah. But the other one that also caught my eye was um, the after the tackle from the, um, I think it was the LA Rams or the um, Bengals, one of the players, um, got into a bit of an altercation with the other player. I mean, that should have been reviewed for sure. Yeah, I think there was there was taunting, and then I, if it's the one I think that you're referring to, Justin, there was a penalty call when uh, there was one of the Bengals players late in the last that did strike out uh, and sort of with a, an open palm strike one of the Rams players. But, uh, yeah, so there was a penalty for that late in the game. But there was a little few little moments, but you'd expect that in the Super Bowl as well. Uh, thanks so much for the call, Justin. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. One point game, Cairns 83, Breakers 84 with a minute to play 
in Cairns uh, in the NBL. So we'll keep you up to speed on that score as well. Uh, Justin Shuler is going to join us next from Melbourne United to talk about them being back at the top of the pops after a win against the Wildcats over the weekend. Oh, Scott Machado has just missed uh, a two-point floating shot to win the game for the Taipans over the Breakers as time expired, 83-84. to 84. Taipans lose to the Breakers, well under the Breakers, a long way and a long time from home, uh, and they get the job done. Well done to them. Uh, before we get to Justin Shuler, Glenn from Point Cook wants to talk Sam Walsh. G'day, mate. How are you, mate? I'm really well. What did you want to say with about Walshy? Uh, just a quick one. Listen, they need to give that. Uh, they need to seriously give that fitness uh, person uh, uh, at Carlton the axe because he he has single-handedly butchered about five of our best players. How, would, I he have, that, how that, would he have done that, Glenn? Well, just working them too hard, mate. Like seriously, they got they, he's got this Hawthorne idea about how you train them. Sam Walsh had for four weeks. No way, he'll be out for at least, I reckon, six is, months for that. Is that fair, though, Glenn, to blame him? I mean, how could that have been Andrew Russell's fault that he's got a syndesmosis injury in his foot? Well, because he's, because I believe he trains them too hard. I believe he pushes them too hard. And you know what? He gets paid a lot of money to keep those players on the track, and they're not. And so, yeah, that's all I'll say. I'm, I'm really disappointed with the news I heard today. Have you? Have you I, oh, I, really I, I don't blame you for being disappointed. I, in my, my view is that it, it's pretty harsh to, to blame injuries on Andrew Russell. But have you been to training and seen them being flogged too hard? Or is that what is that what you, when you say you believe that he's he's not doing his job correctly, is that what, you, is that no, what you're basing it on? I just think Sam Walsh is an obsessive, uh, you know, has an obsessive work rate, mm. which is fantastic. But he's a young guy, and he's, you've got to manage these guys. You've got to make sure that you, you don't let them absolutely smash themselves. You know, I've been a training a few times. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to know your players, you've got to regulate your players, and you've got to make sure that you get them up. And there's been too many players at Carlton over the last you know, two or three years under his um, tutelage that have ended up injured or not playing. So, no, I believe he needs the axe, mate. Glenn, I appreciate the call. I don't agree with you, Oregon. It's a pretty harsh one. Uh, I don't. I think there's some things. Whether if it was soft tissue and stuff like that, maybe. But I appreciate that you're, you're concerned, and I can. Pre- I appreciate that you're not happy. But I think that's rough uh, to blame every injury on Andrew Russell. Um, hopefully, Sam Walsh gets back sooner uh, rather than later. Uh, let's turn our attention to some NBL, shall we? Well, we're not even halfway through the NBL season yet, and I think we've already seen one of the games of the season. It had a finals-like vibe to it. The first time that Melbourne United and the Perth Wildcats had played each other since Melbourne United won the uh, best of five series in a sweep. They won three zip in the grand final series last year to get their second ever title. They haven't played Perth since then, and you could just tell that that Perth team were champing at the bit to extract some revenge. And, well, they got out to a brilliant start. They were 15 points up in the first quarter. Then after that, uh, second and third quarters, absolutely dominated by Melbourne United. It was a game of great twists and turns, just high-quality NBL basketball. And the assistant coach of Melbourne United, Justin Shuler, has been good enough to jump on after one of the most impressive wins of the year. Justin, hello, mates. G'day. How are you, mate? I'm good. Um, that uh, that game had every element of a playoffs game. Did it feel like that to you during? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even in the build-up, you know, we did reflect back to last year. You know, there's a new group for us this year, but we wanted to be reminded of what it 
kind of takes uh, when we go against the Perth. And, you know, like I thought, the focus was there. Uh, we had a bit of a slow build, but the, the focus kept increasing as the week went on. And it always feels like there is a bit more when when not only a top-of-the-table clash, but, you know, going up against a class side like Perth. So, yeah, definitely happy the boys were able to take that in and, and you know, produce accordingly. Had the pleasure of calling the game for SEN with Warwick Giddy, which was just wonderful given we're sitting directly under his jersey that hangs from the rafters, yeah. uh, which is just a very special uh, thing in and of itself. But um, we were sort of saying the same thing and, and we were fascinated to see how you guys would bounce back after um, not just a loss to the Tassie Jack Jumpers, but but that was their heaviest loss you've suffered all year, nine points. But they really did get a hold of you, 36 points in the first quarter. Defensively, you guys have been in the top two all year, um, stingiest defences in the competition, they were the other. Uh, but they really did get a hold of you. What was the wash-up and how did you review that game? No, we were pretty pointed with it, to be honest. Like, no one was no one was happy with our defensive effort and the way that we came out. And, you know, we tried to make that a bit of a focus that we needed to start well and, and you know, be ticking off the boxes with our processes. And, you know, I think even, you know, the other night, Perth came out, we, we had a couple of missed assignments and you know, they come out with a little bit of jump, but the great thing from our end was how quick we were able to respond, make adjustments, and then really you know, try and lock in from there. And you know, I thought you know, our second quarters and third quarters in particular where we just controlled the game at the defensive end, were able to get consecutive runs of stops and then turn that into transition baskets really really changed the game. So you know, we are disappointed how we let, you know, closed out Adelaide and Tassie. You know, that was definitely two games we felt we let slip. Um, but, you know, to get the response that we did from the boys, make those changes and keep taking steps forward, you know, that, that's been, been a great result this week. So, so take us inside quarter time, uh, Justin Schuller, assistant coach, Melbourne United. So you, you mentioned you're coming off the back of two losses to teams that you would have expected to beat, 36ers and the Jack Jumpers, who both at the time outside the five, the Jack Jumpers got into the, to the, to the sorry, into the four after they beat you. But you've, you've had eight wins in a row. Then you come off two losses in a row. You had a team put 36 points on you for the first time in the club's history as Melbourne United last week. And then you find yourself down by 15 and then 13 in the end at quarter time. Take us inside a Dean Vickerman address at quarter time against your arch rival, down 13 at quarter time. What was the message? How did he get the team to respond? Yeah, I guess we knew we were, as I said, we weren't hitting our assignments to the level that we knew that we could. And, uh, you know, we knew that three-point shooting was going to be a factor for them. Mm. And we had to, to nullify that. We had to limit them to one shot. We had to take away those effort abilities from them. And then, obviously, Bryce is always going to be a focus uh, when we come up against Perth. And we just felt there were areas that we could take it up a notch. And, you know, that was that end of the floor. But then offensively, we also felt the ball was sticking a bit and we needed to find ways to move it, uh, you know, shift their defensive scheme with a bit more passing. And I thought we did a great job of that as well. The ball, ball popped around. Uh, we had a good mix of, you know, finishes at the rim and finding our own three ball. And, and that was enough to stem the tide. So it definitely wasn't a panic. It was more a... You know, let's just pick this up to another level and you know, great credit to the boys. They were able to do that and, and then just kept running with it. CG43 exploded in that second quarter. He had 16 points for the game. They all came in the second quarter, which was a 37 to 19 second quarter uh, for you guys. Everything just seemed to click 
offensively, but more importantly, defensively. You kept them to to 19 uh, as well, but you guys just found another level in that second quarter. Yeah, we know when we're we're defending at the level that we know we can, that that's the greatest part of our offense. We're running the floor harder. The, the ball gets shifted a bit better and, you know, the basket opens up and, you know, the, the consecutive runs of stops is something we preach, it's something we want to be, be great at and, you know, I think we had seven in a row there with a timeout uh, from them trying to trying to change things. So we know when we're at that level that, you know, that's going to get our momentum going and, you know, Chris is outstanding at, at being kind of a catalyst to get the, the offensive scoreboard ticking over and, you know, he makes a shot, then Shayili comes in, makes a shot, and it becomes infectious. But that's also, I guess, how we feel our defense is. Once we get, you know, Shay again was great at taking away Cotton's paths. Uh, you know, he gets disruptive. Now everyone starts getting on that same page. We get better rim protection. We get our runouts, and we know we can build some leads that way. So, you know, I think our losses so far have been a, an example of how deep the league is this year. And we know that we've got to be switched on for that full 40. And, you know, that's still our challenge right now is be better at that. Make sure it's full 40 minutes from a, the defensive end into our offensive schemes. Speaking of Melbourne United, assistant coach Justin Schuler after a hard-fought uh, win uh, against the Perth Wildcats. You, you end up going into three-quarter time after dominating the third as well, Justin. You're up by 18 I reckon you guys would never have been so silly as to, to rest on your laurels. You would have known that they were going to come, and, and come they did. Uh, you know, Bryce Cotton just goes to another level when he's needed most, and they really did put the wind up you in that uh, in that last quarter. I mean, they came back with a vengeance, and I reckon you must have been really, really happy with Matthew Delavadova. I just got, I just felt that in that that last quarter when they were coming and they got the the they got it back to within single figures, and I think they got within um, a possession at one point in that last quarter. His experience all came shining through. He'd, he'd been had a quiet game, but I think he ended up having maybe 11 points or just a bit under in the last quarter, at least in the second half anyway. I thought he was absolutely outstanding in the last quarter. Yeah, no, I mean, he really saw what was happening on the floor and turned it into his own advantage, I felt. Uh, you know, Perth put a box of one on, on Chris, uh, trying to take him out of the game. And it did take us a couple of possessions to really figure out where our advantages were going to come from. But, you know, Delhi was outstanding and... I saw the the number him scoring in the last eight only. You know, in real time, it didn't feel that way because he plays it the right way, and you know that's the the beauty of him uh, being able to be our floor leader and, and find those opportune moments. Um, and then you know not to take away what he does at the defensive end either. You know having him and Shea out there yeah. uh, together at times is just such a luxury. And then you know the way that uh, he can manipulate the game from that end as well. So. No, real, real credit to his own individual performance, but in his true fashion, he just wants to find ways to help us win whatever it takes, whether that's offense or defense. Uh, I thought Shaley, I know that Cotton had over 30, but it, it, we were talking about in the call, and Warwick Giddy pointed out as well, that if it wasn't for Shaley, Bryce Cotton would have absolutely gone for a 40 bucket or more. Uh, his defensive work was fantastic. And, and offensively, which we don't often credit him with, but they lagged off him. They dared him to shoot on a couple of occasions for three. And to his credit, where in some tight games earlier in the year, I can remember a throwdown where his shot left him. 
he had the confidence and, and, and the team had the belief in him. He pulled the trigger and he made two crucial threes at, at big moments. And, and I thought that was a great reward for him because he is just tireless, isn't he, defensively? And he is a, he is a player's player. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Like, I think, you know, Joe spoke about it in the, the press conference after, like, he came in and changed the game for us. You know, mm. up until that point, you know, we felt out we were a step slow defensively. And as I said, Shea gets that, you know, disruptive mindset that he has. And now everyone else follows. And, you know, I really felt he, he turned the game. And, you know, we, we know Bryce is always going to be able to, um, you know, trouble the scoreboard. He definitely got more than we liked. But, um, you know, the way we were able to put him in really difficult positions from then on with Shea and, you know, then Delhi has an opportunity on him, on him. Caleb has an opportunity. We just are able to keep our relentlessness on the defensive end. And, um, you know, it was just great to see that reward for Shea because, you know, for a few weeks here, he's, he's been given that assignment. He's been doing a good job and it just stands out so much more when he's playing in Bryce Cotton. Jack White was phenomenal on Vic Law. You can't let both of those guys play to their average. And and the I think that was what won you the game, really. I mean, the the illy job on Bryce Cotton, because he was on, and, and that 31 points at first glance looks like a dominant night, and it was, but it, it, it had every hallmark of being over and above 40. But Jack White on Vic Law was phenomenal. Um, I, I want to ask you, though, about a couple more guys. Joe Luala Chul. Second double double in a row became the first United player to get twenty six uh, to get twenty and twenty twenty six points twenty one rebounds. He's backed it up with another double double. Twenty seven years of age. What, what are we? Are we witnessing something incredibly special here with this young man? Yeah, I think his year is outstanding. You know, it's as, as good as what Jock was able to do as that started for us last year. And you know, I think the the beauty of the way Joe's going about it is there's no fuss to him. He's just, what's the next assignment? How can I best help the team? And, you know, he's getting better and better at playing longer stints, which has been um, a real key for us to be able to rely on him. And then Ariel comes in and, and doubles down on the work that Joe's done. Um, you know, his rim protection, his rebounding, and then how efficient he's being with his scoring is, is going a long way to yeah. our success so far this season, for sure. Uh, that was the chat that I had a little earlier on this evening with Justin Shaw. A little bit more to it, sen.com.au. We're just running out of time. Uh, the Throwdown, Thursday night. You'll hear it on SEN from John Kane Arena, Melbourne United, South East Melbourne, Phoenix. We'll wrap up the show after this. Uh, thanks for your company and for all your calls and texts. 0433981116 off the temper text. Temper mattress like no other. A couple of your heroes and villains to finish up the show. Uh, best of Andy and Gazy uh, up next. Uh, all the, uh, From Dean, always put some time and effort into a Heroes and Villains nomination. He's gone with Heroes, all Australian and New Zealand Winter Olympics competitors. SEN Radio for broadcasting T20 cricket when it's not on free to air. Thank you. Hey, we're back tomorrow night for that. Uh, the third of the T20s, Australia and Sri Lanka. That'll be live with you on SEN. Boston Celtics, eight-game winning streak continues. And the Villains, the negative Nellies complaining about the Super Bowl. I love your work, Dean. Uh, off the text, Sam Walsh will be an A-grader, but he's not yet. The only people who would argue that are Carlton supporters. Was Angus Brayshaw considered an A-grader after 2018? That came through on the text as well. Alex said his heroes were Melbourne United beating Bryce Cotton. Uh, Mario from Aslan Beachville and his Kane Corns from wanting to wrap AFL players in bubble wrap and cotton wool. Um, and uh, Mark from Diggers Rest says the uh, Bengals coach. Hey, thanks so much. We'll speak to you again tomorrow night. Stay safe.
Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.